It seems to me most people, when they hear their own voice, whether it be on a voice message you put on your phone or anywhere else, most people don't much love their own voice. In fact, it's a thing. It's called voice confrontation. It's related to self-confrontation. It's the phenomenon of a person not liking the sound of their own voice. How widespread is it? Well, here's actor John Malkovich explaining the phenomenon to Conan O'Brien. Do you like your voice? I hate it. You hate your voice? Yeah. That's, uh, that's when I When I hear myself, which I try never to do, <laughs> to me it sounds like someone who's kind of labored under heavy narcotics <laughs> for, for years and years. And, uh, I mean, I think most people don't, don't, like their voice and I just could never stand it if I hear a phone message I leave or something I just or or when I'm acting I always think who is this person (laughs) well that about says it all doesn't it and it turns out to dislike one's own voice is part physiological and part psychological Joining me now with more is Dr. Neil Batt. He's an assistant professor of otolaryngology at the University of Washington, specializing in treating voice, airway, and swallowing disorders. He joins me tonight from Seattle. Thank you so much for your time. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Great to meet you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, I guess just for listeners who might not know exactly what it is that you do, what uh, what sort of treatment do you offer and what kind of patients do you see? Sure. So um, I treat... Uh, a wide range of conditions uh, focused on the throat. So um, I'm a laryngologist, that's the official name, and it's under the big umbrella of otolaryngology, which is ear, nose, and throat. Uh, But yeah, medical surgical treatments for people with voice, breathing, and swallowing disorders. So I gather just from, from reading around that one of the things that you do when treating people with voice issues is that you record them. Um, over time, I suppose, to, to see what the changes are. Is that in fact, is that the case in, in, with you? Absolutely. Um, we are often biased with what we feel like people's voice uh, was after we treat them. And so to keep, I think the treatments, medications, uh, assessments honest, I will routinely record a very standardized vocal passage. And uh, after surgery, therapy, medical treatment, I routinely play it back to really, in a more uh, objective way, analyze whether the voice truly is better. Because sometimes people go through lots of treatments and they, you know, maybe subjectively feel like things are better, but a voice recording really gives us a lot of information. So yes, absolutely, routinely record uh, my my patient's uh, voice. So is it in fact true, and I guess this is true, people probably hear themselves more now because there's so many different ways you can record your own voice these days compared to to back when, but are people generally fairly uncomfortable with the sounds of their own voice when you play it back for them, regardless of the condition of their voice? Yes. Um, And I can sense it in some people. They just don't like hearing their voice. And a lot of uh, patients will ask me, is that me? Do I really sound like that? And, uh, you know, uh, the video and the audio, they don't lie. You can see them speaking. So it it is, in fact, them. Um, But yes, a lot of people are very uncomfortable. 
So what is the difference? Because I think we all have our inside voice, and I mean literally our inside voice, not the one that doesn't speak out loud, but literally the voice that we hear, um, and then the voice that's played back to us uh, on a recording. Where does the difference lie? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of physiology, and then it's a little bit, the second reason I think is a little bit more abstract. Uh, but, you know, in terms of physiology, when you produce voice, uh, very broadly speaking, air goes from your lungs, which powers your voice, vibrates your vocal cords, and then sound is shaped and comes out of your mouth. Um, when you hear yourself, though, some of that auditory signal or sound has the capacity to vibrate the soft tissues in our face vibrate the bone in our skull and directly stimulate the cochlea or the organ of hearing. And so it's a little bit of mixture of bone conduction, which is the internal conduction, as well as uh, air conduction, which is the outside. A lot of times you'll see singers really tuning themselves by blocking out the outside by putting a finger in their ear. So when you hear yourself, it's a blending of these two. Um, but when you hear a recording, you don't have that internal uh, bone conduction. Some of the richness may be a little bit lost. But I think it, it goes to the second answer is that for lots of things, how we look, how we sound, we have a self-perception. And that self-perception is an important part of us. And when there's a bit of a disconnect between what we think we sound like and what we do sound like, it, it's uncomfortable. And so a lot of people will say, I personally hate the sound of my voice, but other people don't seem to have a problem with it. I was going to say, why is it that people, and this is just from personal experience, why is it that people always think the voice they hear on the recording is worse than the voice they hear inside their head? That's a good question. I, you know, my answer is I think maybe some of the richness, some of the bass tones that you feel uh, may be lost a little bit. Um, but I also think that we develop our persona, our, our identity based on our voice. It's, it's a big part of it. We don't think of it that way. And when it sounds different, maybe slightly more nasal, slightly higher pitched, um, it, uh, it's, it's an eye-opening experience. Now, I treat some performers, uh, you know, professional singers, and I noticed that that self um, you know, criticism or uncomfortable feeling with their voice, I think fades a little bit when people are used to hearing themselves more and more. It's not the first time they're hearing themselves. And so um, I think it can get better if you're constantly exposed to the, the recordings of your voice. So maybe for you, you might not be as uncomfortable as you were uh, maybe the first few times you heard your voice. I don't know. Uh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I listen to my own voice a lot, so I can tell you that sometimes I get tired of the sound of my own voice, uh, but I'm certainly used to knowing what it sounds like. But even for me, I mean, even for me, sometimes I listen to myself and think, did I really sound that way? Either I'm talking too fast or, you know, any, anything, or, or I hit a certain note that I don't recognize. Um, what, what must it be like then for the for those that you treat who suffer from voice issues, who who lose their voice, for instance, or who have to get used to not only uh, not sounding like they think they do to others, but sounding not sounding like they think they do to themselves? Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I, you know, I believe, you know, obviously that voice is a really huge part of this overall, uh, you know, ability to communicate and communication involves speaking and hearing. And when there's problems with that, it's a huge quality of life impairment. And so a lot of patients, you know, especially elderly patients will come with complaints about, uh, I just can't communicate. I'm a little socially isolated in loud environments. I can't get as loud as I used to. Um, I don't know if I should be here. Should I be here? Should I not be here? And I think the first step with many clinic visits is, is real reassurance that voice is a huge part of everyone's life. And if there are any things we can do to improve the quality of that, um, it's, it's tremendously important. So I think my first and foremost goal is to always emphasize how important it is um, to, to be able to communicate and speak effectively. I'm speaking with Dr. Neil Bad, an assistant professor of otolaryngology at the University of Washington, specializing in treating voice, airway, and swallowing disorders. A laryngologist. A lar- I'm going to get this wrong again. Uh, studying of the larynx, so to speak. Um, I, I guess one of the, the questions that always comes to mind is, why is it that people's voices change as they age? Because it is noticeable. I think of my grandparents, for instance. Why is it that there is that sort of voice that you hear in, in older people? Great question. I, uh, this is an area of ongoing research, something I'm very interested in studying um, and I continue to study. Um, you're absolutely right. The voice changes and there are clear signs when we look at the larynx, just morphologically, the, the inspection of the larynx, things change. So if simplistically you have two vocal cords or vocal folds, as we call them, um, that come together whenever you speak and you get air from your lungs and it vibrates the vocal folds and it creates sound. Um, As we age, we notice that the vocal folds change in terms of their fullness. So they sometimes have a bit of a bowed characteristic. So instead of a straight line, they look a little bit more concave. Um, It takes more effort to get the vocal folds together sometimes the pliability or the ability to vibrate is also blunted. It just doesn't have that same vibration. So as a result, um, as we age, we have to often strain more to get our vocal cords to touch. And that can lead to that roughness, that strain that we often hear. And uh, sometimes elderly men, for example, will compensate by stretching the vocal cords out, really putting a lot of tension And actually their fundamental frequency or their modal pitch, the pitch that they normally speak in starts to go up because they're really stretching those vocal cords. If you imagine a guitar string, really cranking the pegs to get those strings tight. Um, But that's one, that's one part of it. The other part of it is as we age, our lung capacity goes down and the lungs are the power to the voice. So if there isn't as much uh, fuel in the engine, uh, to, to power the, uh, the vocal folds, that can also be a part. So while I am focused on the throat, there's multiple subsystems that interplay to shape the voice uh, as we age. I'm speaking with Dr. Neil Batt, an assistant professor of otolaryngology at the University of Washington. We're talking about, well, first of all, we were talking about why people don't like hearing the sounds of their own voice. We're also talking now a bit about how voices change or the, the sound of your voice changes as you age. When we come back, uh, I was going to ask you about whether there's anything 
you can do about it. We know about sort of mental exercise to keep the brain sharp, physical exercise to keep uh, the body toned. Uh, what about your voice? Can you do anything to try to slow down the processes? We'll be back with that. And I'm back with Dr. Neil Batt, an assistant professor of otolaryngology at the University of Washington. He's speaking to me tonight from Seattle. Uh, we started off talking about why people are often surprised and often unpleasantly surprised about the sound of their own voice, what they sound like on a recording, what they sound like to other people. We were also talking about how voices change uh, as one ages. So I guess that begs the question, there are many ways to stay sharp. Can you keep your voice sharp? And I ask this without any personal interest in this. Can you keep your voice sounding the same as you get older? I, I think the answer is yes. And um, there are things we know and there are things we don't know. But we feel as though people who use their voice more tend to stay in a better place. So I think like any muscle, the more you use it, the better the product is. And some of our treatments really support that. So one big part of managing uh, aged vocal atrophy, or as we call it, presby larynx, is voice therapy. So we work very closely with speech language pathologists who are really an integral part of the overall care of patients. And sometimes therapy, including exuberant voicing, really trying to push the voice, uh, getting loud, often those are prescribed in therapy form for helping people counter the effects of aging. So um, sometimes people have this feeling, well, I'm getting hoarse, so I'm going to try to save my voice. And, and there are times when you might want to save your voice. You know, if you're a performer right before a big show, you might not want to overdo it the night before. But when it comes to conversational uh, use of your voice, especially when you age, I think there's real advantage to talking as much as you can with friends, even practicing reading the newspaper out loud 15 minutes a day, just really working on the, uh, the product, I think, uh, keeps you in a better place overall. That's really interesting advice. Um, I never thought of reading the paper out loud as a way to keep your keep your voice going. I guess psychologically and physiologically, there is an impact of that as well because you're just used to using it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting. A lot of patients, uh, some elderly, will complain. You know, I don't really talk as much as I used to, and I have trouble communicating. And then I asked them, how much do you speak in a day? And they said, well, I, I don't really talk to anyone. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a cycle. The more you uh, don't use your voice, the more withdrawn you get and more atrophy perhaps sets in. Um, but, you know, I think this is an area of ongoing research and, um, you know, I'm working on things um, to better understand the neurophysiologic changes um, with some basic science work, animal work, to try to better understand what's happening. So I'm really hopeful in the next, you know, five, 10 years, maybe we have some better treatments. We have treatments now, uh, but I think, I think there's an opportunity to improve our treatments. How did you become interested in this? What fascinated you about this field? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, an ownership of an area of the part of the body that we treat the medical and surgical parts of. And, um, you know, in a lot of other surgical subspecialties, you have the neurosurgeon and the neurologist or the cardiac surgeon and the cardiologist. We, we have uh, ownership of this area in a lot of ways. And so um, I, think, I think I'm fascinated by the anatomy. It's very 
intricate. Uh, it has a lot of important functions. And, uh, you know, I, as a medical student, you rotate with lots of different specialties. And I think otolaryngologists or ear, nose, and throat uh, doctors tend to be good people, really accepting, warm, welcoming people. And so that's, a, that's another uh, uh, important reason. <laughs> and it is interesting because I was thinking sort of a voice recognition, for instance, that, it, that voices are like fingerprints. So in that sense, you are treating people not exclusively, obviously, but you are treating people with for whom that voice is is an essential part of who they are and what they are, and and then going through all not only the physiological but also the psychological impact of that changing. For instance, mm-hmm. yes, um, it, it's a it's a big part, and I think that our clinic mission at University of Washington is truly trying to be as multidisciplinary as possible. While I'm the physician, surgeon, there are huge uh, and other parts to the overall treatment plan that need to be addressed. And like I mentioned earlier, the speech language pathologist, but sometimes we get the, the, the singing instructor involved, um, other, other physical therapy, other, other uh, physicians and uh, um, healthcare professionals are all important part of the overall treatment plan. And I guess the obvious last question for you, Neil, Dr. Dr. Bad, is, is what about the sound of your own voice? Because you would have at some point had to come face to face or ear to ear with the sound of your own voice. What, what did you think? And I suppose you could have explained it to yourself by then, but maybe not. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I, I probably don't hear my voice as much as perhaps you do. But uh, no, same, uh, even though I have an understanding of the anatomy and physiology of vocal production. Um, I still, uh, I do a double take every time I hear it. And uh, uh, fortunately, I have a brother, I think that we sound similar. So I have, uh, I have the opportunity to talk to him and get a sneak peek at what I sound like. But same, same feelings as uh, I think the most, most people. That is interesting. So obviously, siblings will sound different. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a mixture of anatomy. And maybe we learn to speak in similar ways, or we model each other's uh, voice patterns off one another too. I think that's also possible. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Neil Bat, uh, thank you so much for your time. A fascinating conversation. Keep up the great work. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.